Okay, this is what I didn't get to uh, last week, is the premillennial view. Pre, before. So when we look at this passage in Revelation chapter 20 that we just read, if we just read it in a relatively literal sense, or read it for what it states, uh, it would indicate that Christ returns to the earth in body. We established that in recent weeks. And that when he does return, he will rule the earth while on earth for a thousand years. So right now we're going through, we're in the church age, and at some point Christ will return and will establish a millennium reign here on the earth. So when he returns, Satan will be bound into the bottomless pita, and then Christ will reign on the earth. Now, when we read Revelation chapter 20, it indicates that the believers in Christ, those who are faithful, those who have been martyred, those who have not received the mark of the beast, those who are honoring God, will rise. And we know that when we rise from the dead, we will be like Him in a resurrected body, an imperishable body. That the dead in Christ and those who are alive at that moment in Christ will all be transformed into this new body that Christ afforded us with His sacrifice on the cross. So the believers will rise and reign with him. Let's look again at Revelation chapter 20 where it says this. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. It seems according to Revelation chapter 20, if we try and take it for face value, what it says, there's clearly two resurrections in this passage. What does that mean? So the premillennial view would be that those in Christ rise from the dead at the return of Christ. And those who are alive in Christ also are transformed in that moment. We'll talk about some of these passages more in depth. And I can't, I told you, I warned you last week, we're not going to be able to get into, we can talk for the rest of the year and all next year about these details. We're not going to do that. I want to I prompt some healthy thinking for you. I want to challenge you to read the scriptures about it and to pray about it. And to get your bearings about it, but we're not going to be able to comb through every detail of Revelation or the end of time. But I'm just giving you an overview of the views about it. So Christ reigns on the earth. While while he reigns, Satan is bound. At the end, Satan will be released for a short period of time. And it says that here in Revelation 20, that he will be released later. He stirs up a major rebellion on the earth. He is defeated, then the throne of God is set up on the earth for judgment. All the the remaining dead rise, and judgment commences. And then we go on to the eternal state, new heavens and new earth. Any questions? (laughs) This stuff takes a while. You got to think about it. You got to keep reading the scriptures, which is true here. You know, the like the amillennial view would be. That that first resurrection is when you die and go to heaven, that's your first resurrection. That counts as that first resurrection. You're going to be with Christ. But I have to out out myself here. Uh, My personal conviction from reading the scripture is that the premillennial view seems to be the most accurate to me. According to what the Bible teaches. And we'll continue to talk about that. And so, you know, why am I premillennial? Why do I believe these things? I'll tell you why. I'll give you the first reason. Satan does not seem bound to me right now. 
right? Just seems that I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but he does not seem bound. I know people are plenty capable of evil on their own. But he doesn't seem to be bound right now to me. You know, verse 3 says, And he, he threw him into the abyss, shut it, sealed it over him so that he could not deceive the nations. That sounds like a serious confinement of Satan and his power. And it doesn't feel like that to me on the earth. But more than that, more than just my own feelings, I can't rely on my own observations and feelings to be sure. I have to look at what the scripture says. Peter warned us in here, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9a, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. You, you have an enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Uh, sorry, yeah, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That, but that's not Ephesians chapter 6, I don't think. But then in Ephesians 6, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in heavenly realms. So in my opinion, in reading those passages of Scripture, Satan is not bound right now. Therefore, we're not living in the millennium. That's what I think. You're welcome to disagree with me. These are disputable matters, and we refer back to Romans chapter 14. Not to quarrel over opinions about things like this that are disputable. They're not provable. See, we need to... One of the things about looking at the end times is that, on one hand, we see that Jesus intentionally puts an urgency in us. Watch, wait, be aware, don't fall asleep. So he, he builds this urgency in us, and yet we can look at signs and go, but it hasn't happened yet. Satan hasn't been bound yet. Jesus ain't coming back. And so we kind of, but that's not the attitude he encouraged us to have. Jesus repeatedly watch. Wait, don't fall asleep. It comes at an hour that you do not expect. So on one hand, we have this tension to be anticipant without being anxious. Important point. Anticipant without being anxious, expectant, but not fearful. Right? God has given us that. And yet also to be watchful. There are signs. There are things we read in the scripture that we look at and go, I don't think that's happened yet. But it's possible. So when we're talking about future references, we have to keep in mind that even though we would look at something and say, that's not been fulfilled yet, we always have to keep in mind, but it might have, and you just don't know it. Because otherwise, you're not expecting Jesus' return anytime soon. So there's a conflict here. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's important for us to wrestle with that tension, because we're going to start to talk about what the Bible says about signs. Let's go to the next slide. But understand this. Here's another reason why I lean towards that premillennial view. In the last days, terrible times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Seems legit right now. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without love of good, traitorous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Turn away from such as these. Why, why is this important in our thinking about the end times? Well, we can see that as time goes on, 
These are going to be things going on in the world. Does anybody not think these are happening? And it just seems to continually become more and more. There's more of an abandonment of of a moral compass. There's more of an abandonment of faith in God. Those things, even though the gospel is growing and many are coming to Christ, there's also a strong move against God, an anti-God movement, pushing back on good things. And we see that happening. Don't, don't, don't engage in these, he says. But the other thing this does is it sort of dismantles the post-millennial view, which says the gospel will ultimately reign on the earth. But I feel like that contradicts the passages of Scripture that say it's going to get steadily worse, that there will be tribulations on the earth and all these kinds of things. So I do have to mention, too, that the post-millennial view where the gospel sort of takes over the world is pretty uncommon anymore. There have been seasons and times throughout history where it grows in popularity, like particularly during a revival. If revival breaks out here in Helena, Montana, we're going to feel like the sky's the limit. We might as well take this to the whole world, and the whole world's going to transform. And so whenever there's been revivals, there's been an optimism about the idea of post-millennialism. But generally speaking, it's not adhered to very much anymore. Most Christians you find these days are going to be that amillennial view, which are viewing it in a much more metaphorical kind of way, or in the premillennial view, which we're talking about. Now the Spirit states expressly, that in later times, some will abandon the faith to follow deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons, influenced by the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared with a hot iron. First Timothy, I must have forgot to put the address of that second verse in there. But it's Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, will have itching ears, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. And passions. Okay, so we know it's going to steadily get chaotic. Who are we supposed to be as Christians in the middle of this? What do we represent? We represent Christ in this process. So we know that it's going to get worse before it gets better. So what are the signs? In Mark chapter 26, we're going to talk about this remainder today and then into next week. And I've got a couple weeks that I'm going to be able to continue to share on this. And then I'll be traveling to South Africa for two weeks. And so we'll, we'll not continue from there. So I'm going to try and wrap up everything I want to get to uh, in the next 10 minutes and the next two weeks. So here we go. What are some of those signs? And this is where we start to enter the territory where people really get excited worked up about the signs. So I'm going to hit some of, the, some of them today and we're going to discuss them. But why, why are we talking about signs? Why is that an issue? In Mark uh, chapter 13, I believe it is, we see where the disciples are coming out of the temple and they look at the, all this stuff and they're going, wow, look at these amazing buildings. And Jesus said to him, I'm telling you the truth, ain't one stone going to be left on top of another. Jesus didn't say ain't, that was my paraphrase. There won't be one stone left on top of another. Everyone's going to be thrown down. So later on the Mount of Olives, they come to him and they ask him, when will we see these things? Tell us about it. When will be the, they said, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So they want to know, how are we going to begin to expect your return? And he goes on later to say, They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. 
And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. So Jesus, at first, we're talking in in Mark chapter 13. uh, Some people call it the Olivet Discourse. I don't know why we have to give names like that to things in the scripture, but sometimes we do. And it's found in three of the gospels where Jesus is talking about this. He's answering this question, what are those signs going to be? when those stones will be thrown down and the, and the end of the age. And then we run into prophetic passages of Scripture. And in that passage, we see that a lot of different things, and I'm going to talk about them, and I will explain because there's controversy around this passage. But Jesus gives signs. Now, some of this is fulfilled at least, at least partially in the destruction of Jerusalem in 7 AD. So for those of you that don't know, after Jesus ascended into heaven, you know, somewhere around 33 AD or something like that, by 70 AD, Rome has gotten so tired of Jerusalem that they march on Jerusalem and destroy it. And they destroy the temple in Jerusalem around 70 AD. And one of the things that that they do in that is they sacrifice a pig on the altar in the temple. And a lot of this is fulfillment of prophecy in Daniel. And Jesus is also talking about, and they literally did. They tore the temple down and threw the stones over the edge. I was looking at some stuff online a couple years ago where there's still huge stones down in one of the gullies that they believe to be the stones of the old temple that Rome destroyed. So when Jesus is talking about all these distressful things in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today, uh, some of that is fulfilled with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. But there seem to be a few things that have not yet come to pass that he talks about. And we see that in scripture a lot, where in a prophetic scripture, parts of it become fulfilled in the immediate future, and then other parts of it don't come fulfilled to much further down the road. And we, again, we see that in the Old Testament. We see it in Daniel. In Isaiah, in Jesus' first message where he gets the scroll from Isaiah, he reads part of it and he stops halfway through a sentence. He says, today this is fulfilled in your ears. And the rest of the sentence was, and the day of vengeance of our God. (laughs) So it was fulfilled up to one point, and then he stops, and then it goes on. So the scripture requires some discernment and wrestling as we try and understand these things. In Mark chapter 13, verses 7 through 8, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. These things must happen. Do we hear of wars and rumors of wars? Lots of wars, world wars. Had quite a bit of war. These things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places as well as famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. So we know just from history that creation has been doing this. Mankind has been doing this. We've gotten to the point of having two wars now called world wars. where almost the entire uh, world is engaged in a... Uh, military conflict. These things are happening in the world. They're the birth pains. We know that the time is coming for his return. We see in Mark 13, verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. What did Jesus tell us to do before he left? Go and make disciples of all nations. So what has the church's job been since he left? Preach the gospel. Talk about the good news. Introduce people to Jesus. We're about reaching people's lives. Introducing them to this faith. Bringing transformation and eternal life. 
And as we do that, just from nation to nation, well, we know historically that there aren't many nations left that have not heard the gospel. And we just continue the work and continue the work so we know that part of God's intent is that this gospel goes to all the nations. Could this be fulfilled? Maybe. I mean, we could get technical about it. Maybe there's some tribes in the Amazon that haven't heard yet. I know that. They won't even, they won't even let you into, in Brazil to talk to the native people anymore. We still have situations. Just recently, we had a situation where some, you know, these tribes are so remote and you get too close to them, they'll kill you. And it's very dangerous. And they want to preserve that, the government of Brazil, so you can't get in there and preach the gospel. So is it possible that it's, you know, in God, from God's perspective, the gospel has been preached to all nations? Possibly. Paul says this in one of his letters. Let me find it here. I got it right here. Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, and indeed in, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. You know, so when we say something, when we're looking at something where it says the gospel must be preached to all nations, are we the ones to decide whether that's fulfilled or not? Not necessarily, but it seems unlikely, although it's possible. So God could return any minute. I believe that. I believe that my interpretation or understanding of things might be wrong, so I'm going to be humble and objective and anticipate his return at any time. But I can look at these signs and go, seems to me there will always be people to preach to until the moment he returns. That's our job. We're living the mission. We're building that community of Christ followers in the world. What about this? For in those days, this is Jesus speaking, Mark 13, 19, and 20. There will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now on one hand, Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. We know that literally to be quite true. And is it possible in some ways, it may have seemed to them that this is as bad as it gets? Jesus said, pray it won't take place in winter. Woe to the the nursing mothers at that point, trying to escape Jerusalem as it's being destroyed by Rome. When those who see these things, let them flee to the hills. So some of those things we see at least partially fulfilled in AD 70. But then I look closer and I say, God had to cut the day short, otherwise no one would survive. That also then hints to me of a future day. How, how could we end up in a time where all humanity could be wiped out? We're there now. Humanity could be wiped out. We have the power to wipe it out more than any other time in history. Does that mean it's fulfilled? I don't think so, but possibly. So what, what do we make of that? Just good to have these in our heart and watching them. How about this? False prophets and signs. Mark 13, verse 22. For false Christs and false prophets, both plural, will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Wow, this is interesting. So as time goes on, there's going to be many false Christs, false saviors, false messiahs. And we see that. We, we have several times I can think of a couple, which I'm not going to name right now because I don't want to start any arguments, but people in history of risen up and gathered huge numbers of people to their teaching. An entirely different gospel than the original gospel, but people flocked to it. No, I'm the prophet now. 
I met God in the woods and he laid hands on me and anointed me as the, the now modern apostle. And here's the good news. And totally changes the gospel a different direction. And now, at this point, millions have followed that gospel. A false Messiah. A false good news. We, we, it's, it happens. We have little cultish things that rise up. These false saviors. And they create little cults and they drink Kool-Aid and things like that. That's happened on the world. It's been, it continues to happen. We see it all the time. These signs are there. And at times, even leading people astray, often with signs and wonders. In American uh, rational thinking places, we don't talk about this very much. We don't think about it. But boy, if you've ever worked in a, a society full of witchcraft and demonic worship, signs uh, happen. They happen. And they're false signs of a false power. And they're evil. And they happen. They're very real. I'm going into South Africa. There's a lot of witchcraft in South Africa. You cannot believe some of the weird things that they've merged witchcraft with Christianity. And just created their own little weird religion all by itself. It's like, why? Because, we, we, because this is happening. There's an evil at work in the world trying to lead people astray as time goes on. What's our job? Be established in the Word. So that the Word of God comes, we look at it, we can keep the boat headed in the right direction, not swayed by every wind and wave that comes. But we can remain grounded. So when these things happen, we don't freak out and panic. We reach people, we try and, we try and get people to put their faith in Christ. Those kinds of things, that's how we deal with that. There are other signs, and I'm going to have to talk about those in the weeks ahead. I cannot continue. I I want to talk about the mark of the beast as well. I thought, boy, that'd be a great one for the first week of hunting season, wouldn't it? The mark of the beast hunting season. Come on, where's your sense of humor? Anyway, we're going to cover some of those other things as we go. We're going to look at the passages and talk about some of the beliefs about them and what God teaches us in the Scripture. I want to wrap up. Let's go all the way to the end, Emmett, to my last slide. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, this is at the end of Revelation chapter 21, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is what you and I look forward to. This is why no matter what happens, we have hope, we have faith, we have joy. We can celebrate at our own martyrdom. Can you imagine? People do that. People have given up their lives for Christ. We see it right here. Those who have been beheaded, their souls are in heaven. And they're waiting for that resurrection body. We look forward to this right here. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And there's a B I should have deleted. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Come on. Woo! No more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Would you stand, please? Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, he says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We have no reason to have anxiousness, fear dominating our lives as we watch the world be weird. We look forward to this no matter what happens. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. God, that you cared enough to give us hints, <laughs> to kind of keep us watchful and aware that you are returning, aware that there's a glorious day ahead of us. God, aware that as adopted children, we have so much to look forward to. And God, I pray for each one that that would motivate mission in each of us, that we would realize more and more what's at stake and that our compassion for mankind would drive us to live this mission to a greater extent, that we would be willing to talk about you, that we would be willing to pray for others, that we would be willing to minister to the needs of others, to not just sit on the sidelines and be critics, but to get involved in the lives of people who are suffering and hurting and looking for answers, that we would be firmly established, as James said and taught us, knowing that you are at hand. Lord, I pray for my friends and family here today. God, that your Holy Spirit would be stirring faith and encouragement and comfort in each one. God, that you would be creating a hunger in each heart for your word. What did JR talk about this week? I got to dig back into that Revelation 20. I got to go look at those other passages in Mark 13. What did, he, what did Jesus say again? God, I pray that that hunger and that reminder of your spirit would be in each heart. So I pray you bless each one today. Amen. If you would like to receive prayer this morning, Jen would love to pray with you. Rachel would love to pray with you. Take advantage of that opportunity. You will be blessed. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next week.